Good morning. As my daddy would say, there are thousands of comedians out of work and story tates up here trying to tell a joke. <laughs> I love your story. <laughs> well, a couple of months ago, um, Rod contacted me and he said, hey, I've got an open week. Would you like to preach? And of course, I look for any opportunity to be able to preach because I just love it. And I said, yeah, I'll take that. And he goes, great. It's Song of Solomon. And I said, whoa, 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 what? He said, yeah, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. And I said, oh, okay, well, that won't be a problem, I'm sure, you know. He always picks good scriptures, right? So I open up my Bible, and I start reading through, and I'm like, what is this? I don't know why this verse goes with that verse and what they even mean. And I shared this with the students on Wednesday night in our youth group meeting. I said, you know, when, you, when you're reading God's Word, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to, is to illuminate Scripture for us, is to teach us. And so I had to stop what I was doing, and I had to pray, and I said, Lord, show me. And you know He did. When I started reading that passage again, I thought, okay, now I know why these verses go together. Now I know why Rod picked that. Still don't know why he asked me to preach it, but... <laughs> so we have a passage of Scripture here, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a back and forth. There's, there's a, a husband and a wife, a, a lover and a beloved, and, and there's friends in the mix. And, and they're all talking back and forth, and they don't always tell you who's talking and when. So based on how you take this passage of Scripture, this first portion of it, it could be the husband talking or it could be the wife. So I looked at it from the aspect of the wife, and I just want to put that out there so you know where I'm coming from. But in your Bible, if you'll turn to Song of Solomon chapter 8, and I will be reading verses 5 through 7. The friends are speaking, and they say, Who is coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? And then the, the woman starts to speak. Under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labor gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Now y'all, the part I couldn't understand was why are they even talking about an apple tree? But I'll get to that. In the first part of the passage, it says, who is this coming up from the wilderness on her beloved? And the idea that it gives is that they are coming toward the friends, and, and she is leaning on him. She is receiving strength from him. But it is also a very close, passionate kind of, we're walking together, and we're spending time with one another, and, and we have this close, intimate relationship such that you can, you can lean on me, and we can walk together side by side. The love of the man and woman, the love, the friends recognize that. The friends see it, and they take from it that that is a testimony 
of their love. Beyond being a testimony of the love to the friends, it's also a testimony of their love to anybody who sees them. It is a testimony of their love for each other. It is a testimony of their love for God. Y'all, that's what our marriages should be. They should be a testimony to others of the love that we have for each other and the love that we have for God. As we interact with one another, they should see the love coming through us. Now, I know that in some cases, husbands and wives, and I'm guilty of this myself, y'all, We'll go to an, a, a social gathering and, and something will be said and, and I'll, I'll make a joke at my wife's expense. And I'm sorry for that. That's not right. That does not show the love. That does not show the, the intimacy that God expects out of us. Now, I haven't done this, I promise, because I don't hang out with guys. But, you know, when guys hang out, and they start running their wives down. Oh my gosh, if only this. Oh, she does that and it drives me crazy. Women do it too about their husbands. They get in those little chat groups and they start talking and, and it turns to spouses. And y'all, we should never run our spouse down to another person. It's not honoring to them. It's not honoring to God. And it does not show that love and intimacy that God expects for us and from us. So their testimony, I'm sorry, their love is a testimony to others. It's when people see a, a, a man and woman who love each other so much, who, who lift one another up, even when that person is not around when you're sitting in a group of, of guys and they're talking about their wives doing this and their wives doing that and they look at you and they say, well, what about you, Parrish? What, do you, what does your wife do that drives you crazy? And I say, she loves me. I don't understand why, <laughs> but she loves me. She doesn't do anything to drive me crazy. She loves me and I love her. I want that to be the testimony. I want that to be where the guys, later on, when we're, when we're broken off from that conversation, one of the guys come to me and go, how do I get that? How do I get what you've got? I want my marriage to be a reflection of what you just said. Is that true? Can it happen? Yes, it can. And I believe that as Christians, we have to focus on and protect our marriages because they are our witness to others. But how do we do that? Well, I believe this passage gives us three hints at how we can protect our marriages. The first is to relive your story. Now, this was the hardest part of preparing this sermon right here. It's the apple tree, y'all. It's the apple tree moment. And she's talking about, under the apple tree I roused you, there your mother conceived you, there she who was in labor gave you birth. Now this gives a very descriptive idea that he was conceived out in the open under the apple tree, right? I mean, that's, at a, at a, at a cursory reading, that's what we would think. And we're like, eh, that doesn't seem right. But what commentators, the, the commentators that I read have suggested is that 
she is pointing to various places. And she's saying, under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. And there... She, sorry, I lost my place. There, she who was in labor gave birth to you. And so she's pointing out these important places in his life. Now, as they continue their life together, those points of reference are going to change because now they're having experiences together. And they'll be able to point back to those experiences and relive those experiences with one another. For instance, Amy and I relive our story from time to time. We talk about that time when we were dating. And I went with her to her grandmother's house. And she ate pickles at her grandmother's house. And they were, there was something wrong with the pickles, y'all. Because we're back, we're riding back home and she says, I'm about to throw up. And her father says, let me get on the other side of this bridge. And he, she doesn't make it. And so we are standing on the side of Interstate 35, cars zipping by us, and I am holding back her hair while she throws up on the side of the road. We relive those moments. And her mother said, oh, he must really love you. Or how about the time at the University of Georgia Garden Club Amy had come home to meet my parents. And I told her, I said, you've met my parents, you've met my brother, you've met my sister, now's your chance to run. And she said, no, no. So while we were there, we went and got the engagement ring. And we drove over to the University of Georgia Garden Club, a little pool there with a fountain, very beautiful. And I said, uh, let me see that ring again. And I opened it up and I went, oh my gosh, that is, that is beautiful. And I slapped the thing shut and I said, here, would you put that in the glove compartment? And she's like, I want that ring. What she didn't know was that I scooped that ring out and palmed it when I handed her the, the box. And so we got down there and we were walking around and and we were at that fountain, and I said, oh, look at that over there. And when she turned around, I got down. That's one of those memories that we have and that we relive. Or there's the time when we broke down on the side of the road at 5 a.m. in Canton, Texas. Cars zipping by us. It must be something about the interstates with us. Five o'clock in the morning, we're waiting on a tow truck. There is nothing around us. And we've got to use the bathroom. And that tow truck isn't going to be there for another 30 minutes. We had to get creative. But <laughs> these are the things that we relive. We relive the times of our children's births. We relive the happy moments because when we relive our story, it reminds us. It reminds us of the laughter, the wonder, the determination to get through the difficult times. And to know that though we may be going through difficult times, we're not going through those difficult times alone. We're doing it together.
Second, remember your commitment. She says in in verse five, I'm sorry, uh, in verse six, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Now, a seal was a mark of identification. And y'all going to have to bear with me now because I'm about to say something that y'all, it just doesn't sound right, but bear with me, okay? If somebody, if something has a seal, it belongs to somebody. And we have a seal in marriage. It's a wedding ring. That is our seal. Now, Amy doesn't own me, and I don't own Amy. But we have placed our seals on each other so that others will know we belong together. It's not ownership, it's belonging. It's being one. Incidentally, God talks about a seal with us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So in this verse, we see the idea I just mentioned the seal, and that we are God's possession. We belong to him. Now, I'll tell you why that's that's so wonderful. Whenever we go on a trip, we call ahead and we get a hotel, right? We're going to be staying overnight. And they always ask for a deposit to hold the room. So I give them my credit card number, and they put a charge on my card as a deposit to make sure that that room is there when I arrive. God doesn't do that. God does not make us pay him a deposit to to secure our place in heaven. He gives us a deposit. His Holy Spirit is his deposit to us, saying, I have a place for you. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, so that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that awesome? God probably wouldn't make a very good economist by human standards if he's giving us the deposit instead of us giving him one. But he he knows better than we do. Third thing I want to share with you is to renew your faithfulness. Renew your faithfulness. She says in, in verse 7, I'm sorry, first, I'm having a difficult time, y'all. Yes, verse 7, 6 and 7. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Now, y'all, as a pastor, whenever I would do premarital counseling, I would always tell the couple... It takes 20 minutes to have a wedding. 
but it takes a lifetime to make a marriage. We focus so much on the planning and the doing and the, uh, of the wedding, and I understand you know, I understand. Girls, girls think about their wedding from, from, from childhood. They want that day to be special, and it should be. But having a nice wedding is no guarantee of a good marriage. And so when we make that commitment to each other at the wedding, at the altar, before the, the, the pastor, we also have to renew our faithfulness to one another each and every day. You take a look at verse 6 again. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Now, I have to, I have to stop and say something about it. And I don't think, well, it kind of shows it here on the slide. But if you have a, a Bible translation that offsets the lines, the reason for that is that this is a, a poetic structure. And Hebrew poetry is different from English poetry. English poetry, we want the words to rhyme on the end, right? Birdie, birdie in the sky. Why do you do that in my eye? It rhymes. But Hebrew, poet didn't know it, but Hebrew scripture has a, has a structure where it says one thing and then it says the same thing again in a different way. Okay? So look what it says, and, and it's for the emphasis. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Those two go together. They reinforce one another. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy as unyielding as the grave. Death, grave, they go together, yeah. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Fire, flame, got it. Can we see the next one? For love is as strong as death, it's... We already read that. Never mind. <laughs> Um, this this uh, kind of structure, poetic structure, is, is telling us that they're trying to make a strong point. That, gel, that, that love is as strong as death. Now that does not sound very romantic, does it? Baby, I love you like death. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But the love that that person has overcomes death. Death cannot destroy that love. It also says, it burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Well, that'd make me not want to get too close, wouldn't it? But you know what that is, right? Burns within you. That love, it, it ignites your soul. It ignites your passion for that person. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. This reminds me of uh, 1 Kings, I believe it's chapter 18, where Elijah, the prophet of God, faces down the prophets of Baal. Y'all remember that? I don't call it a story. I don't think the Bible has stories. I believe the Bible has, has historical accounts. So you remember the account of Elijah on the, on the, against the prophets of Baal? He, they're in a drought, and that he builds an altar, and he t 
takes the offering and he puts the offering on it. And he says, now, pour water on it. Now, this is a drought. Water's, you know, pretty necessary right now. But he says, pour water on it. And so they pour 12 jars of water on this offering. And it runs down the altar and it pools around the altars, at the foot of the altar. And he steps back and now the prophets of Baal have been yelling and chanting and, and all this all day long. And he steps back and he says just a few words. Lord, let this day be the day that they recognize you are the one true God of Israel. And boom, lightning, uh, fire came down from heaven. It consumed the sacrifice, but it didn't just do that. It consumed the rocks that the altar was made of. It consumed the dirt. And it licked up the water from the trench around the foot of that altar. That's God's power. That's God's love. That fire comes down. And he did that for a reason. The whole thing was, we'll call on our gods. The first one to answer with fire, that is the true God. So he knew what he was doing when he put water on that altar. He knew that God's love was going to show up in a mighty way. And the water that was poured on that altar would not be able to quench it. Y'all, that's what our love for each other should be. Our love based on our love for God, that love for each other. He says, rivers cannot sweep it away. You know, just a, just a few inches of water on a roadway can carry off a vehicle, right? They don't know this in the Dominican Republic. Because Amy and I went on a trip. We went to the Dominican Republic. They took us out to a beach, and we spent a couple hours out there. And we're coming back, and it had rained in the mountains, And the little bitty creek that we went over going in was a raging river as wide as this area right here. Deep. Y'all, I thought we were going to die because that water was rolling and what it was doing, it was going right across the road and it carried right over into the river on on the next side of it. And that idiot drove through it. (laughs) I told Amy, I said, get ready to swim. We made it though. But that's the way love is. Rivers of water cannot drown it out. And look at this. The last part of verse 7. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. What would be utterly scorned? Love? No. The possessions, the money. Love is invaluable. If we took everything we had and gave it for love, it would still be worthless in comparison. Worthless in comparison to the love that we're trying to attain. You know, we don't have to work hard to attain that love. Not from God. He gives it freely. He gives his love freely to each and every one of us. And as we look to him and we express our love for him and we express our love for one another, our marriages can be a wonderful witness to people in this hurting world. It reminds me of another passage of Scripture that Solomon wrote about. The book of Ecclesiastes, the 
previous book. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And look at this. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I remember sitting in church as a teenager, and I heard my pastor read that passage, and he said, this is a picture of a marriage, but the three-strand cord is when you have Christ in that marriage. It is not easily broken. It provides strength. And what we must do as God's people is make sure that God is in our marriage. And if He is, people will notice that. And they will seek you to find out why your marriage is so different from theirs and their friends and everybody else who gripes about their spouse. Why are you different? And it's an open door to tell them about Christ. This morning, some of you may want to know more about that. Maybe you're sitting here going, man, that's what I want my marriage to be. I want to have that love for my spouse. I want to have that love for and from God. How do I do that? By receiving Christ as your Savior. By asking Him into your life. And giving him control. That's the hardest thing, is to give him control. I'd like everybody to bow their, eye, uh, bow their heads and close their eyes. I don't know how you're going to bow your eyes and close your heads. That'll be a trick. Everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. Our marriages are given to us by God to be used to glorify God. And for each and every person here today, I pray that that is happening in your marriage. But if it isn't, God can help turn that around. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, Lord, I want that. I need that. Then He will give it to you. But it it requires work. And if anybody here today says, I want that kind of marriage, but I don't even have Christ in my life. And I want you to understand all you have to do is pray this prayer. Lord, I confess my sins. I ask you to save me, to come into my heart, come into my life. Make me new again. Forgive me and be Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just slip your hand up? Just slip your hand up so we can pray for you. Okay. Father, we come to you today and we just want to tell you how much we love you. And we thank you 
for providing for us physically, spiritually. Lord, we just want to praise you. And we want to ask you, Father, to use our marriages to glorify you. Help us to be better husbands. Help us to be better wives. Help us to be better so that others will see us and see you through us. In Jesus' name, amen.